Jojo with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robots Podcast. In this episode, we focus on one of the big challenges of our times, cyber security. Whether it's at home or in the office, many of us rely on technology. And with smart tech starting to penetrate so many aspects of our daily lives, it's no wonder that cyber security is becoming such a hot topic. And while we have IT departments at work that generally try to keep our work network safe, staying secure at home can be tricky. One device is trying to offer a solution. Kujo is a smart firewall designed to keep connected homes safe, offering protection from hacks and web threats for anything in the home network, from smartphones and laptops to desktop PCs. It does this by monitoring all devices and analyzing local network traffic, and it lets you control what your kids access online as well. Our interviewer, Mike Singh, spoke with Leon Cooperman, CTO of Cujo, about the kinds of cybersecurity threats that we're facing in our modern world and about how to guard against them. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having us. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. My name is uh, Leon Cooperman. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Cujo. We are a um, a company that focuses on building a smart firewall appliance for home and small uh, business users. Uh, so why is the work that uh, Cujo does important? That's a great question. So we, we've come from the, all of our founders have come from the enterprise security space. And one of the things that we realized kind of early on in our development was that um, while there are a lot of great enterprise security solutions, um, they are very geared towards companies with large budgets and teams of folks that are managing those solutions. But there is really nothing out in the market for protecting individual uh, users and, and homes and small businesses where the cost of the product would be affordable to them as well. Um, the types of things that, that an average user that needs to know about internet security would be, it would basically be a lower barrier to entry. So we set out creating a product that was uh, easy to understand, easy to use, but provided a, a level of protection against the, the hacking that's currently going on in the world where customers would um, close many of the loopholes or, or gaps in their security posture at home uh, without needing a huge budget or IT staff. Uh, you know, usually it's just dad that's responsible for the slow internet at home. And, and, you know, that's the type of audience that we have to figure out how do we make our security product work for that type of environment. So a lot of what we've done has been based on automated algorithms that rely heavily on machine learning uh, to classify traffic uh, as malicious or non-malicious without having to get external security operations uh, analysts involved, essentially. Uh, and, so, and so we think that we think that the product is is very relevant and important in society today because we're serving the probably the most underprotected market uh, on the internet, which is home users. Uh, so you're really focusing on the average user user rather than 
uh, the big companies who have like teams of people working on this. That's exactly right. And so how do you, how do you guys um, decide what to work on? Do people uh, try hacking into things themselves and then, and then, uh, you know, decide, okay, this is something we need to protect against and then build something for it or. So, so there are, uh, yes, we do have lots of security researchers on our teams. Um, but we've, we've kind of start with a known list of the highest value threats. So for example, uh, phishing is a, is a, a very big um, threat on the internet. And for those, who don't know what phishing is? It's the attempt. It's it's when when you have a user that's uh, uh, gets an email or is redirected to a site that looks like, for example, a PayPal login site, and they enter their credentials into that site. But really, it's just a site that helps the uh, criminal collect your credentials, and then they use those to steal money. That's that's a traditional phishing scam. So when we look at the kind of top threats, such as phishing, we say, okay, how do we help prevent those kind of top-down from the most impactful threats down? So we, our Kujo device works on things like phishing and uh, malware um, deployment. Uh, we work on uh, social engineering uh, issues. Uh, we also work on um, malvertisement um, and uh, uh, camera hacking. So, for example, uh, there's a big uh, area of uh, uh, folks that are trying to get access to remote devices. And and we just kind of work on those in priority. And there's a never-ending list, unfortunately, of threats that we kind of have to address uh, in the platform. Uh, so how do you provide protection against all these things that you've mentioned? Yeah, that's a great question. So... It's not uh, one silver bullet. It's not uh, uh, one algorithm or strategy that 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 fixes everything. So we have what we call these multiple layers of protection. So let me start by telling you how the Kujo is deployed. Uh, Kujo is a, a hardware firewall, so it installs on your home network, and you plug it in in kind of one of two modes. But essentially, in both modes, it ends up intercepting all of the traffic that's coming both in and outside of the home. Uh, through your router. So we don't replace customers' routers. We, we simply augment it with additional security. Since everything has to go through the device, does that mean things are slower? No, they're not slower. One of the really great attributes of Akujo is we have two one-gig ports on the device, and in the future, there'll be 10-gig ports. But uh, uh, we we've have customers that, that are running uh, very high connection speeds north of 500 megabits in their home environments, and Kujo adds, what's one of our design goals is to add no latency um, to, uh, to the experience. So by latency, I mean delay time, making things slower. And uh, we measure that in a number of different ways. Uh, but again, it's one of our key design goals is to, um, we kind of have three, protect the home, add no latency, or don't we don't want to slow the network. And the third one is not to invade privacy. In other words, we don't want to see traffic that is protected and encrypted for our customers. We need to be able to determine the malicious nature of traffic without kind of looking deep into uh, the network communication. And that's what's called deep packet inspection or DPI. And that's a strategy that many other products uh, kind of leverage. And, and we find that it's one that's pretty uh, flawed for the home environment because um, your home and users, by bringing a security vendor in, they're exposing their 
private and secret information if DPI is being used extensively. Uh, if you guys aren't looking at the data explicitly, then how do you uh, see whether something is malicious or not? Sure. And it goes back to the the, the security layers that, that I talked about earlier. The, there are multiple algorithms that run on the Cujo. Some are cloud-based and some are local on the device. Uh, what they have in common is that most of them are uh, machine learning-based. Uh, or, or complex heuristics. So let me give you an example of some. When, when we find that uh, you have uh, IoT devices on your network, so for example, you might have a Nest thermostat, you might have a camera, you might have a refrigerator that's connected to the internet, you may have an audio system that connects to the internet or a TV, a smart TV. All of those devices, if we can accurately label what they are, in other words, we know very specifically what the device is, we can create device behavioral profiles at the network level without looking at the, the depth of the packets. So one of the countermeasures or the security measures we have on the product is what we call uh, device profiling. And in short, what a device profile means is that once you have a established IoT fingerprint or a device identification, we now apply a set of um, behaviors to that device where if the device starts deviating from those set of behaviors, we'll block the unexpected or malicious behavior. Let me give you a concrete example. If your smart TV is really talking to a few cloud providers, uh, maybe to get software updates, uh, uh, maybe there's some streaming services. And then all of a sudden that TV starts talking to a server in Brazil or China. Um, we, even if that um, IP address that it's talking to is not known to be malicious, we know it's outside of the scope of its normal behavior. So we can just block that activity um, without knowing really what's going on under the covers of that communication. And that's one countermeasure that we call device device uh, device profile security um something that would protect against would be like if i locked my door and then left the house uh and i have a smart lock then somebody from china won't be able to you know unlock it while i'm yes. away that's a good analogy that, that, that that's actually a good use case um uh, against smart home automation devices um the um, another use case that I can talk about, which is really interesting, and we always get a lot of interest in this particular area of our, of our intellectual property, is if traffic is becoming more and more encrypted over time, so there's uh, uh, many more uh, normal services or, or non-malicious services are leveraging HTTPS, which is an encryption uh, protocol for the web um, and other types of encryption like TLS, then how do we, how are we able to determine what's going on on the page and what the user interaction is like? Well, we've developed a, a system that's a machine learning system that's supervised in nature. And rather than looking at the data once it's encrypted, what we're able to do is look at the setup of the encryption. So we're look, able to look at the several round trips between a client, which would be your browser and the server, and we would um, essentially examine those round trips for the handshake and certificate exchange and several other attributes that we extract from, um, from the stream. And once we've got those, we applied a, a machine learning model that we've previously trained in the cloud, and we're able to tell with a high degree of certainty that 
um, your handshake, your encryption handshake is of a malicious nature or not. And so this this kind of uh, really raises some eyebrows because it's the first time in the industry and the security side that someone's been really able to, with a high degree of accuracy, look at encryption and uh, without breaking that encryption, without breaking um, the cipher, we're able to uh, determine the nature of the traffic. So that's another uh, layer of security. And there, there are many others. There's We have security countermeasures for phishing. We have security countermeasures for threat intelligence and malware. And if you think about all of those things come into this little kind of compact um, computing device, it's really the first time that home users have had the access and exposure to such a sophisticated uh, security product uh, in a small form factor and cost structure. Is this useful against, for instance, some of the hacking tools that were recently leaked uh, from the CIA? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have a pretty good blog post on some of those hacking tools. But, uh, for example, um, if you've got uh, you're on your home network and you've got connectivity from your iPhone to um, servers that are um, really outside of the norm of what you would be communicating with or would be ranked as malicious, um, then uh, we would be uh, able to catch those exploits. We'd also be able to catch the exploits uh, of any malware being installed, even if those are CIA toolkits uh, that have previously been undiscovered. Uh, we have some pretty sophisticated malware algorithms that are able to, again, leverage machine learning. Uh, so without having a signature of what the malware is, we're able to take it through a, a classifier that will give us a rating for its maliciousness. So I, I, I can't say for certain because we haven't tried all the hacks against the iPhone that there's 13 of them. But um, we have a high degree of confidence that we would stop the major ones. And... Um... How much do we actually have to worry about hacking and hackers? Because there's, there's been you know, hype about cybersecurity going for some time, but it seems at worst we get website outages or I suppose the big companies get you know, a lot of information uh, leaked. But for the average person, is this, is this really something we have to worry about? It is because there's, um, depending on the type of hack, so... Uh, look, is the average user a target of cyber threat all of the time? Probably not. But uh, our personal lives are at risk because we have data on our home networks that's valuable. Let me give you an example. Um, medical records that are stolen uh, for companies, you know, on average, uh, will sell for $300 a pop. So if the hacker has an easy way of obtaining personal, personally identifiable information from your home network, they'll do so because it's lucrative. Uh, ransomware is another uh, key example where you'll install some malware on your local network that will end up encrypting your files. And you, if you can't get at those files and you don't have a backup, um, you're really in trouble and willing to pay the criminal to, to get those files unlocked. Oh, so by ransom, you mean they, they take your your device or, or data as ransom. Yeah, so if, if you're not familiar with the ransomware um, uh, epidemic, if you will, basically if I'm able to install malware, let's say, on your PC, and I find your uh, really highly confidential or like, you know, maybe it's your um, legal documents or other things that you've stored in PDF format or um, even documents related to your work, 
and I encrypt those so that they're not gone, but you still don't have access to them. Well, they're relatively useless to you, but the attacker can unlock them at any time. So what the criminal element typically does is they send the email ransom note and say, you know, pay X number of Bitcoin to this account and we'll unlock um, your uh, the files that you now don't have access to. And that's um, uh, a really troubling and disturbing um, uh, type of hack that, that people are affected by. Another one is just access to the, your cameras. I mean, if you think about having a baby monitor uh, in your home, and now a hacker can get access to that and publish it on, a, on the Internet, it's just a, a massive invasion of privacy and uh, something that nobody wants to expose themselves to. So the threat is real, and to the extent that the consumer base remains uneducated, it's just going to get worse where criminals find this much easier to monetize than traditional crime. So if there are all these risks, then how, how paranoid should someone be? So, for instance, my mom, she's always afraid that everyone's listening in on her conversations should we should we be <laughs> on that end? Well, I, I I think there's conspiracy theory and then there's good security awareness. Is the CIA listening on everybody's phone? Absolutely not. Um, I like to equate it to the you know the the I like to use the analogy of a, a professional killer. You know, if you you walk down the street and you meet a professional killer, are, are you going to get hurt? Well, probably not. He's not after you. He's he's got a, his own job to do, which is to kill somebody else. And the same is true for hackers. You know, most targets are low value targets, and so we're in general we are as citizens low value targets. However, um, so not everyone is listening. So not uh, you're not completely exposed because there's not always someone listening on your conversations. But the, the opportunity for hackers is there if a target becomes viable and monetizable. So basic security awareness is, is key. I think understanding the threats of what phishing is uh, and what malware is and understanding how to protect your passwords and understanding um, just basic both physical and online security practices um, is is a key element, and then having a device like Kakujo certainly helps, and, and helps uh, keeps away some of those more sophisticated threats. Um, so uh, there have been a lot of hacks that have uh, come into the news, like various government hacks and leaks, and surely they're not sitting on their butts waiting for the next hack. So why aren't there uh, current solutions working? So it's a little bit of a different situation with large organizations um, uh, because they have a, they have to coordinate you know potentially thousands and thousands of people, uh, and the risk associated with uh, the hack against large organizations or even government organizations is much larger. So we're we're at a different playing field when it comes to individuals getting hacked versus governments getting hacked or, or, or large corporations getting hacked. When, you know, when you look at companies such as Sony or the Democratic National Convention, you're talking about um, thousands of people in an organization, not all of whom have the right security awareness. And criminals often use social engineering techniques to get in and break down, even though you might have great IT security policies, um, it's uh, easy for some of those policies to go lapse. Um, it's easy for 
uh, certain systems to be ignored. And then it's pretty easy for attackers to leverage the human element or social engineering to get people to click on an email, to download malware, to give up their credentials accidentally. And all you need, uh, you know, with security, you have to be right 100% of the time um, from, from the defense perspective. And from the attack perspective, you only have to be right once and you're into the organization. So it's a little bit of a different playing field. Uh, and uh, by social engineering, uh, something um, recently there was, I believe, a Google document uh, type of attack where people um, shared, uh, got emails that said someone has shared this document with you. And then if you went to it, um, the the malware was uh, uh, came into your local machine. Is it something like that where you think you're getting something legitimate from someone you know or? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the more personalized the message is, and, and by the way, there's, there's social engineering that can occur human to human, and there's social engineering that can occur through electronic uh, means. And, and I'll, give, I'll kind of give you a couple of examples. The one that you gave about Google Docs is a perfect one because you really trust Google. You see the site URL, um, and then there's something that they've done in the Google Doc to force the download. Google is really good about it in that they took it down very promptly, but it it definitely spread uh, uh, very rapidly, uh, that particular um, social engineering te technique. But there are other ones that are, are, are much more subtle. For example, um, sending an email uh, from... Uh, uh, so I'll give you a, a one that's common right now. It's called wire fraud or uh, wire phishing fraud. Uh, you, the CFO of a company gets an email that looks like it's from the CEO saying, Hey Bill, we're close. We're about to close this deal. Can you please wire thirty thousand dollars? Here are the wire instructions. Right, and the CFO will go ahead and execute on that. But the email didn't come from the CEO; it came from a malicious user. That's an example of a social engineering attempt. Um, and the attacker has to know quite a bit about about the organization. They have to know who the CEO is, who the CFO is, who can make the decision, what the the, the limits are before they can kind of get caught. And even the context of their business, the more personalized you make a social engineering attack, the higher the probability that you're going to be able to pull it off. Um, so those are examples of uh, electronic social engineering. But there's also examples of human social engineering where you know, I personally have witnessed someone calling as if they're from the IRS and saying, hey, um, you know, we're, we're considering you for audit. We just need a a uh, few personal details, maybe we will be able to push this off. And so you're no, uh, unknowingly giving up your social security number and a whole bunch of other personal details over the phone, which then the attacker can use for credit fraud, for example. So how do we educate people about um, security then? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, you know, we've been talking about the awareness aspect internally a lot. Like it's one thing to have a security software or hardware product, but it's, a, it's another thing to really get everyone's thinking elevated uh, from an awareness perspective. So um, there are some um, great awareness courses online that you can take uh, and seminars, but we don't think that they're as accessible as they need to be. So um, Kujo is going to be introducing a, a free uh, security awareness course for for everyone um, just to get basic understanding up. And we're going to make it fun and social so that you can kind of share your security awareness badge 
uh, as you complete the, the mini exam at the end. Um, so while there are some resources today, and if you're a kind of a devout user who wants the knowledge, you can get it. It's not as uh, easy to find as we think it should be, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of try to change that over the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, so how can people like me who are uh, you know not experts in security uh, better protect ourselves against cyber threats? Yeah, I think um, some basic hygiene of uh, your passwords and uh, using a, some uh, using things like a password manager. Uh, to encrypt and protect your your online passwords is a really good start. Um, it's uh, not using the same password across multiple services. So if you use, for example, Facebook and you use Gmail, don't make that the same password. A lot of people have that habit because it makes it easier to remember. But if you use an encrypted password manager, um, it's going to be a lot easier to have unique and distinct passwords that you don't have to share across services. So that's one really key and important concept. Um, another one is understanding um, the, uh, just basically looking at your emails and being critical and suspect of emails that you receive um, that you probably weren't expecting and following up with those with a phone call or uh, another mechanism to verify that that email is legitimate if someone's asking you for personal information. Never give uh, personal information over the phone. So I've had this um, happen to me personally. I get a phone call from a service, uh, and I know that I use that service, and they say, we just need to verify uh, your information. Could you give us your date of birth? And my answer is no. I will not give any of my personal information over the telephone when I didn't initiate the phone, the phone call because – I have no idea if you're if you're calling me from a legitimate service or not. So not giving personal information is another uh, great uh, way to uh, kind of sanitize. Um, so th- those are some basic steps. There's obviously more that, uh, kind of basic hygiene that you need to follow. But I think if you think about the problem with a high sense of skepticism, you're usually gonna, your common sense is going to lead you down the right path. Those are guidelines for what we have right now um, mediums that we're dealing with right now but what about looking into the future dealing with uh, things that are not commonplace yet so for instance I would love to have a smart home and uh, right now there are some some devices but how do I you know how do I operate in in new uh, environments yeah, and you're not alone if you're skeptical about, you know, kind of smart home technology and what the security implication is. You're absolutely not alone. A lot of consumers, and it's over half of consumers that are polled, say, hey, we're not comfortable until we understand that there is a, um, a, a process to secure all of these devices and make sure they're communicating securely. So I think the, in, it's, the onus is on the industry to come up with a set of standards and uh, potentially a set of security products like Cujo and others, um, as well as market education so that people start to feel comfortable with the technology. But it's, I, I kind of equated to, you know, back, if you look back 100 plus years ago, or, um, or, you know, maybe 80 years ago, um, people installed light bulbs and there was really no standards for light bulbs the way they were manufactured. So you kind of had all of these house fires popping up because, um, the, the, there was nothing like the UL that would govern the safety 
around um, uh, high voltage devices like a light bulb. Well, that eventually changed. There was some government intervention, some standards were created. Uh, and now we don't think about you know, the fire hazard around light bulbs. And the same is going to be true for other more sophisticated devices. You know, we're going to have um, a set of security standards and processes. Vendors are going to be responsible. Uh, ISPs are going to be held more accountable. And home users are going to be held to some level of responsibility to make sure the whole ecosystem is safe and secure. And that you're going to see that kind of as an adoption curve. We're not there yet. But, you know, probably in a year or 18 months, there, there will be a level playing field where um, people will feel much more comfortable with the devices that they're purchasing and how secure those devices are. Going off of that, where do you see the security industry as a whole going in the next, I don't know, two or three years? So we have a concrete vision of that, and, and we think that um, it's really customers are going to be looking at their Internet service providers for that level of assurance and security. And so a lot of the security mechanisms that we're building today are really going to be things that are built into your home router in the future. And it's not something you're going to have to necessarily go out and buy a separate product for. It'll just be kind of part and parcel with your internet experience. And we think that has to happen both in your home internet connected world, as well as on your mobile phone. So today when you kind of have a uh, uh, connection from your phone to the internet, there's really not a lot of security best practices that are applied to your mobile connection. You can essentially connect to anything or anyone. So we think some of the, uh, some of the work that we're doing on home networks also has to be applied to managed uh, Wi-Fi and managed uh, telecommunications network um, for, for your mobile providers as well. And that's going to cover a a big swath of overall internet consumer public. Um, and, and again, I think those are things that we won't have to think about so much in the future. We'll obviously need our security awareness um, hats on, but a lot of the tools of the trade are going to be kind of built into our lives. So um, things that will protect us from phishing and remote access hacking and, um, and malware are going to be built in as part of the network that we operate in. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. And that's it for today. There's more about this and all our past episodes on our website at robohub.org. Our next podcast will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Cujo with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.